Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to discuss our hardware antics for the week. We'll be checking out Thunderbolt 3 versus USB 4 versus Thunderbolt 4. What does all of this mean? Are you prepared for the power that's coming? And then we're going to head over to the popular camera corner with Wendy. We're going to get a discussion going on lens calibration. So sit back, relax, and plug in because Hardware Addicts starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co-hosts, Wendy, our resident photographer extraordinaire and hardware enthusiast, along with Michael, the software sage and hardware Padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been doing? Well, I have a couple of things to talk about. First of all, I have a follow-up on my new microphone that we talked about last episode. And for those who are wondering, is my trend of not hooking things up and not using them continuing? Yes. Yes, it is. (laughs) You have the microphone and you haven't opened it. Correct. I've had it for like a week. So how long? Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. Well, to be fair, to me... To me, though, it's because I didn't have the audio interface to connect it to anything. So it's not really my fault, although I still would have probably done it anyway if I had it. So it doesn't really matter. But I actually can say something that's going to be coming soon that I will open the the box on the same day it arrives. Okay, maybe the next day. I don't know. But very quickly, (gasps) very quickly, it is a camera. I purchased a camera. What'd you get? I got an A6100 from Sony. It's a mirrorless camera. And basically, it was like, I all the things that I learned from Wendy, I need to apply it and get these things that that fits what I want to get from a camera. And then I found that, and it seemed to be perfect. And also, I got it on sale, which was awesome because, you know, I saved like two, three $300 or something like that uh, because I don't want to spend the whole thing. Well, my recommendation is to keep it in auto mode. (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. I already considered Forever that. Like, ever. yeah. I think I think my first choice was to keep it in auto mode, but also get that Hearts filter for the lens. Naturally. Like that was, uh, you know, that's mm-hmm. just a guarantee. Yeah, yeah I haven't the, seen that on your channel, their channel yet, Ryan. Where's the Hearts? It's coming. I was waiting for it to come hey. in the mail. And apparently, they're <laughs> right. just so popular, it's behind in shipping. Everybody's yeah. got them. Yeah, yeah every, everybody needs a heart filter. <laughs> I believe it. So, Wendy, what have you been up to this week? Well, I've started looking at some of the gaming steering wheels about the the game that I play the most would be trucking. And then my husband plays a few games that are, are driving style games. So I figured it'd be kind of cool to get them. eBay has actually quite a few of the Xbox 360 ones for a decent price used. So it'll take me maybe another two weeks before I finally decide on one and and get it bought. I'm pretty indecisive that way. Usually, even if I've made up my mind, it takes me a while to actually spend the money. Now, you're looking for one that's compatible in Linux specifically, I assume, and with Euro Truck Simulator. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so maybe the folks in the comments can let us know if they have any experience with a good steering wheel for that. But I can tell you there are just these random times when I'm like, I want to get a steering wheel to play, I don't know, Dirt 4 or something. 
Yeah. And you go and you look at the price of these things. And I don't know, it seems like the price of a car, like $500 for a steering wheel. And they can be crazy. Pedals. Yeah. No, I'm looking mm-hmm. more in the, the $100 range. The, the Xbox 360 ones use are, are around 100 bucks on eBay with free yeah. shipping. So that's way better than the, yeah, there's some of them where you can drop. Three fifty, four hundred bucks on a game steering wheel, and that—that's a no-go. I want something that if my kids use it, I won't cry because the little one didn't wash his hands. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we know that feeling. I have a friend of mine who's really into these kinds of uh, steering wheel. He doesn't—he doesn't call it. He's—it's—he gets really mad when you call it a game. It's a—it's a driving simulator, and uh, he does simulator. Like, yes. Right. And he does like uh, race car simulators and stuff like that. And the well, like in those types of those realms of like the wheels that are made for those things are like five hundred or more. And like fi- five hundred yeah. is like an average price. And he told me about like the one he got, and I was like, that sounds insane. He's like, yes, but it mm-hmm. gives you the full experience, and that's what's necessary. Well, see, I got yelled at for calling a drone the Phantom drone that I bought a toy. I said, it's a really expensive toy in a video. And these people got really mad. They're like, this is not a toy. This is serious enthusiast. I don't know whatever they were mad about. And I'm like, well, hardware. to me, it's a toy because yeah, it doesn't it's make a, me money. A, therefore, it's a toy. But it's a drone. It's, it's, got, it's got its own category. And there, yeah, it's a toy. Yeah, it's a toy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could use it for like video production in a cool way. But yeah, uh, yeah, it's a toy. And some people do. So for them, it wouldn't be a toy. It would be a useful part yeah, of I'm their... I'm not saying there are people who it's not a toy for. They're professions like real estate, uh, surveyors yeah. and things like that. They use drones. But for me, it's a toy. And my steering wheel would be a toy and in a household with four children. So it can't be a $500 steering wheel. Right. Because if Michael ever comes over, you don't know if he washed his hands. That's right. No, no, no. I, I definitely, I definitely did. Just, just, in, just so that I can guarantee that she'll let me use the steering wheel for sure. But anyway, Ryan, I don't do you share. This week? You don't share. <laughs> well, we're learning more about Wendy every episode of Hardware Addicts. So this week, I've been continuing my journey with the Razer Core X. If you remember, I hooked this up to the Mac Mini. Had pretty interesting outcome with it. I really enjoy this little Razer Core X device. It's just so well engineered. It's made to be gotten inside of, like I've mentioned. I'll be doing some more videos on it. But I've been trying to hook it up to what we're going to talk about today, Thunderbolt 3, in the Intel Nook running on Linux. And even with Windows, because I got so frustrated, I couldn't get it to work with anything. And so I installed Windows on one of the drives to try <gasps> to see if it would get the eGPU to initiate. And even that was a frustrating experience. So I got to hand it to Mac. They made it the easiest. And of course, I guess because of the fact that you're probably going to necess- you're definitely going to need an eGPU if you have a Mac, if you want a game. So it makes sense they would make it the easiest. But I eventually was able to, once I figured out that there wasn't an issue with the Nook, there wasn't an issue with the new video card that I put in it, which is NVIDIA, which you have to watch the videos on Dust Geek channel, figure out which one, I was able to get it to work in Pop! OS. And so I'm going to be doing full instructions on how to get this thing up and running, including the BIOS settings that you need in case you have one of these awesome Intel Nooks out there. So I have conquered all of my hardware mountains that have been put in front of me. I'm feeling pretty powerful today. Nice. <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> feel pretty powerful today. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Hardware Addicts and the entire DLN network is now sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. You can get all of this plus their world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. Or you can get their flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. As Ryan would say, that's darn near free. DigitalOcean also offers 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up-to-date with the latest open-source software, languages, and frameworks. Get started on DigitalOcean for two months free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. Again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash dln. And we thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode. All right, so let's get into our core story of the week. Now, I've got to ask all of you, how many of you have boxes of cables of non-standard USB variety of cables in your home? I have less than I used to because we've had mice that chewed up a bunch of them, but I still have <laughs> at least one massive box full. <laughs> I have uh, I, I have multiple boxes of random USBs and also random cables. I even found a cable that on one end is USB and the other end is, I have no idea. It's like a 3.5 millimeter jack. Like, what is this for? Anyway. I'm in the same boat. I have, it's so bad that we went to a, I don't know, it was like a Harbor Freight, I think, and bought a special rack just to put all my cables on. Because every time I throw one away, the moment I'm like, I'm going to get rid of these cables. Yeah, there's some device that I'm like, I'll never need this again. Then that device appears suddenly and I have to use it. And that was the mm-hmm. one cable I needed in order to set it up. It happens every time. Well, there is some work going on to standardize the connectors that we're using. And you've probably noticed this with phones and in laptops. And that connection standard out there is USB-C. Now, if you know Noah on the Destination Linux podcast, every time there's a new laptop announced, the first question he asks is, is it USB-C? And I never really understood what his obsession was with that until I started seeing all the device manufacturers starting to switch to USB-C. And now I get it. Like, I don't have to have boxes and boxes of different connectors. USB-C, you don't have to flip it around 80 times to figure out which side (laughs) goes into the port. (laughs) It seems like a really solid connector out there. And people are, manufacturers are switching to it, everyone, but... Apple still has the lightning cable, but even a lot of their laptops now have moved to USB-C and hopefully their phones do as well. You know, what's kind of funny about this, though. The, the funny thing about the USB-C is like it's a, it's becoming a standard for the universal serial bus system. That's 20 years where it's intended to be a standard. And now we're sort of getting a standard. Well, to make sure it's clear, because not everybody really understands all of these different cables. They just open a box, whatever cable fits to power the thing up, that's what they use. But USB-C is really just the physical connector itself. It's the shape, that oval shape. If you've seen a USB-C, you know it. It's smaller than obviously the USB-A and other types of USBs that you've seen out there. Small, powerful, really nice connector, but that's what that describes. So if you see USB-C, all it means is the connection type there. There are pesky little numbers and symbols all over that USB connector that dictates what protocols that thing runs at. 
So you could have one protocol, USB-C adapter, maybe they're only getting 10 gigabytes per second or five gigabytes per second. So it depends on the version of that device, USB port that you have and the protocols that it's running. So you'd look for things in the manual, like, is it USB 3.1? Is it USB 3.2? So there are a lot of variations. So that standard is just for the connector. Doesn't really help you anywhere else necessarily because we got to keep things confusing. Well, and that stuff can be really hard to find. So after you kind of brought this topic up, I went to check my motherboard because the new one I got when I upgraded this spring has USB-C on the back. So the Newegg site, first I went there to look it up and there is no information on, well, never mind. I just found it there. Right now, (laughs) live, you found it. Yes. Well, before I'd went over to the Asus website and found it on that one, but at first I couldn't find it. I mean, I even typed in USB-C in find on page and it wasn't there because I didn't know you have to dig into those details to find out that it's 3.2 Gen 2 up to 10 gigabits, gigabytes per second. Right. On There's the just a C. lot of different numbers out there. So many. Oh, yeah. That I don't, you know, you've got different colored ports. You've got blue. You've got yellows. You've got your standard ports. And they all mean something as far as the speed goes. But the manufacturer's the, implementation of it changes. Except for the some companies that are now putting their own branded colors. So that you see green exactly. for Razer and red for like sometimes Asus does it. It's like, so that means okay. you have to dig into your manual to figure out what in the world's going on. That's well, really typically it, it means it's do. at least three. I think it's at least three point something. And then that, that you, so it's, if it's black, then it's 2.0. And if it's any color, it's at least 3.0, but good luck on figuring it out. Okay. So you've spent which? your time and you're like, Hey, I've got that 3.1 port I want, but here's another thing. The manufacturer variations on features is something that creates a lot of problems. And you're going to kind of see that more as we, unfold this mystery of cords wait are you saying we're untangling the problem you know that's what i was thinking in my <laughs> head and i said unfold but untangle is a much better way of putting it because these cords automatically no matter what you do are going to, if you put them in a box will somehow magically all intertwine with each other and you'll never Make get a mess, yeah. you could not touch it for years and all of a sudden they're they're connected you have to pull out every single cord out of the box and untangle them in order to get to the one cord that you need. Exactly. So to sum up with USB, we have USB A, B, and C. That describes the physical shape of the port when you see those numbers. And you've got 3.1, 3.0, and 2.0, things like that. That describes the data speed and power output potential. So we have one standard, which is the connector that seems to be taking off. Hopefully it stays that way, but knowing how things go. Probably Apple will screw it all up with their, their own new connecting type out there. I wish everyone would have gone with the magnetic, by the way. That was my favorite, the magnetic connector. Does anybody have experience with that one? No, I, I have I have experience by accidentally uh, disconnecting someone else's computer in there. And like, I thought I was like, I broke it. And they were like, oh, don't worry about it. It's a magnet. I was like, oh, okay. That's cool. That was my favorite. I think that was just the best connector when you would power off for the power connector for a MacBook. It was magnetic so that if you pulled it away accidentally. You didn't rip the cord or the machine and trip over it or anything else. It just disconnected. I I thought that was pretty ingenious. Maybe they can figure that out with USB-C and make everybody buy new $30 cables again. Well, I've seen adapters like that for phones in order to make it magnetic, which to me on something that you're 
charging on and off all the time, that makes a heck of a lot of sense. Though I worry about, like in the case of my husband and the working environment that he's in, I mean, it's it's just dirty. What happens when he's got metal shards that are now attached to the magnet on the bottom of his phone? Yeah, you know, the problem is that if we don't have that connection standard, then people won't sell their, they think, un a broken MacBook on eBay for way less than it's worth because they can't get it to charge. And all I have to do is clean that little port in there and boom, I've got a working MacBook again. So I need people to go along with this so I can get cheap. <laughs> That's fair enough. So there's another hero out there though. There's this port out there, this protocol that's the star of the show that honestly hasn't made its way into my tech hardware world until recently with the eGPU, and that's Thunderbolt 3. Oh, interesting. Are you saying it's like a perfect storm at this point? Yes, it's a Thunderbolt, like from Zeus. <laughs> Boom. Yep. <laughs> sure. So Thunderbolt was developed by Intel in collaboration with Apple. Intel has promised that the Thunderbolt protocol specification will be free for all under a non-exclusive royalty-free license, allowing for wider adoption which is awesome because this is the problem, right? We don't have standards and manufacturers are doing whatever they want and it's creating an issue. Thunderbolt 3, really, Thunderbolt never made onto my map because if you have AMD motherboards, there are very few that actually have a Thunderbolt 3 in because it was an Intel protocol. And of course, Apple has them pretty much on everything, but it just really never made it into my world because I've only played with Apples outside of repairing them and reselling them recently as kind of an actual use case. But the Thunderbolt 3 cable will perfectly work in a USB-C port, and the opposite applies as well. So you still have that standard physical USB-C connection. It seems like it's the perfect solution. We don't need to go any further. 40 gigabytes a second. Can I get an amen? I mean, this is... Amen. There we go. (laughs) But wait, there's another connector out there. You got USB 4 that you're hearing about all over the news, and the articles are dropping. So does that mean all your Thunderbolt 3 devices are worthless? No, USB 4 is Intel keeping good on its promise. And I got to give Intel mad props here. They said they were going to open source the license, make it royalty free. That's exactly what they did. And the committee has rolled that protocol into what they're calling USB 4. So if you see USB 4, it's really Thunderbolt 3 that is now open sourced. That's awesome. I'm yeah. so glad that they stuck to their word on this. Yeah, th- this is one of those things where you see a big company make a claim that, yeah, we're going to be doing the, the thing that everybody wants us to do. Don't worry. And then usually that doesn't actually happen. So when it yeah. when the rare times it does happen, it is awesome. Though I wish, you know, USB would have just said, hey, let's just keep calling it Thunderbolt if we can. So like if USB 4 and Thunderbolt 3 are the same thing it seems kind of like pointless to change it also people are starting to get used to the whole thunderbolt like lightning bolt symbol on the computers so yeah. what are they going to have i gotta have a new special one for the same it'll be a new I'm, color like green or purple or something perfect yeah <laughs> well if you're not confused yet this was this was fun writing. Like, how do you get all of these different cables when you're doing a podcast and talk about them so that everybody can really kind of visualize this in their head? But Thunderbolt 4 was announced as well. So you've Perfect. got Thunderbolt okay. 3, which is essentially 
Intel and Apple's proprietary licensed version. Then you have USB 4, which is taking Thunderbolt 3 and open sourcing it. And then you have Thunderbolt 4, which has just been announced, which is a technology that Intel has used that they are making making it have a license once again because either they regretted open sourcing it after all or more than likely they're frustrated with the fact that cable and device manufacturers continue to not follow the standards that they set for these cables so when people are getting thunderbolt 3 devices that aren't running 40 gigabytes a second don't have some of the security implementations done correctly it creates a bad reputation for that protocol. So I kind of get why, even though I'm a huge fan of open sourcing and I'm a huge fan of what Intel did here so that everybody could standardize on a, on a port and not have all these things out there, I kind of understand why they went with their own Thunderbolt 4 here again to say, if you get a Thunderbolt 4, it's still compatible with Thunderbolt 3. It's going to use the same connection type, everything else. It's just, you know, when you see Thunderbolt 4 on it, that it meets the requirements that they have set, including security protocols like VTD and things that are included in that versus somebody just putting that on a box and people buy it and think they're getting the 40 gigabytes a second, put an eGPU to it and are getting 10 frames per second. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I like the idea of them doing that, but like, I, I, I mean, I understand the point of doing the different licensing and, you know, getting certifications to be like the way that USB did it in the back in the day, like the nineties where they had a thing where you had to pay a certain like yearly fee in order to use the brand or yearly fee to do like to say you were certified as a, as a USB device and that kind of thing. And I think that approach would be totally fine with Thunderbolt four. I, I, that would, I completely expect that, but in the sense of like, is it still an open protocol or is it now a lockdown protocol in the difference between three and four? Like that is where I'm a little iffy about it. But overall, I as think far that as what everybody knows Thunderbolt four. Now they, they have announced it and it's supposed to come out with their new Intel Tiger Lake processors, which in the news just today, Intel has pushed out their seven nanometer roadmap. If you remember, they had a roadmap to bring seven nanometer. I think in 2021 that's now been pushed out because they've had major manufacturing faults and issues with getting that run to work they're also allegedly or potentially having issues with their 10 nanometer run again and there's rumors the rumor is at least in the news that they are now looking at third-party vendors to provide their new gpus that will be shrunk down uh in the seven or ten nanometer world so they are really hurting in this front, but at some point we'll get more news on Thunderbolt four, but as what we know right now, it's going to be at least a standard for Thunderbolt to make sure that if you remember in the news, there was some real security issues that kind of popped up with Thunderbolt that allowed vulnerabilities in the machine. And a lot of this was because of the certain implementations that didn't follow the standards that were kind of put out there from different manufacturers and things already. So you know, I, I understand why they may want to lock it down or they may regret that they open sourced it or they may be coming out when we find out Thunderbolt 4 with an even faster port. But for right now, all we know is that it will be a standard, at least that's what they've said in their addresses to the public. 
Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I understand why they would do it, too, especially with the making sure that stuff isn't implemented incorrectly. I do understand that. And I also agree that if they're going to if someone's going to call their stuff Thunderbolt supported, they need to, you know, do that certification and make sure that they're doing it. So I get their licensing it that way. I was just curious about like how if like what the reactions could be like, could you do that and also open the spec? But it does remind me of like in the early days of USB, they were having the same problem where they were supposed to have USB B as an option on the device and people and people were just putting in the USB A port anyway, just because it was easy, simpler for them or whatever. Right. So like it, it, that'll probably never go away where people where companies are just kind of doing it lazily or not bothering with the actual standard. And I think, I, I mean, I understand that, but if that's the reason, I think there would be, you know, after 20 something years, it'd be a way to structure the system in a way that allows you to have the certifications and the licensing and all that stuff, but still maybe have an open spec. I don't know. Well, but I guess the I'm hardest just part, the hardest part is a consumer. So Thunderbolt three is supposed to, you know, you're supposed to have these speeds. It's supposed to have these built in security features. And then you go to buy a cable and it's really hard to figure out, okay, does this cable offer everything that it's supposed to under the Thunderbolt standard? Or is it just a Thunderbolt 3 cable in name only? Right. So that's where it comes down to, yes, I love, I love open source. I mean, that's what I run on my computer. That's what I do all of my photo editing on right now. But at the same time, when it comes down to hardware like this, at least having a certification that says, I am getting what I'm supposed to be getting and not a, as you were talking about, get a cable and it doesn't work. And why won't it work? Is it something wrong with this? And you spend all this extra time, not only the money on a cable that doesn't work properly, but all of this time trying to figure out what went wrong. Yeah. It damages people's equipment constantly, being that my job is in telecom. I see it all the time. People go out, friends even, and they're like, hey, I got a dozen cables for $5. Mm. And then a month or two later, maybe three months later, their battery's swelling, their case is popping off the back. And I'm, I'm just like, don't. They, they want to save the money because the certified cables do seem like a ripoff. In a lot of ways, they are, but they do at least have the standards in them so that it's not constantly endlessly throwing power into the device and, and basically overcharging your battery and everything else that happens. So a lot of times I tell people, pay the extra money, get the official cable from the manufacturer, even if it's $20 and you know you can get a dozen cables for that same price off of Amazon, <laughs> you're going to take a risk of ruining your equipment using those cheap cables. Well, is, is it easier to replace your phone or spend the extra money on a cable. I'd say spend the extra money on the cable. Yeah, especially when phones are a grand. Yeah. yeah. I, I also realized recently that, uh, not recently, relatively recently, that uh, when you have your phone charger, just because you have another phone charger that says it is fast charging doesn't mean it's going to work best on your phone. And in some cases, they won't even do the fast charging at all. And so, like, if you have, if you lose your charger for your phone, depending on what kind of phone you have, whether you have fast charging or not, you might just want to go get the phone charger from the company again, just to make sure you have the one that's compatible. Because just like the cables, there are times where you connect, you connect it to another charger. It'll take from 30 minutes to charge your phone 
when you have the regular one and then three hours or more when you have a different one. To sum it up, Thunderbolt 3 is amazing. USB-C connectors are amazing. To talk about some of the things you could do with Thunderbolt 3, how about power two 4K displays at 60 hertz? How about providing power up to 100 watts? And it has a lightning symbol. That is good That is Mike. all you need. <laughs> I agree. The marketing... Actually, one of the things that I do give credit to Intel about this is Thunderbolt is a fantastic name for a connector to send through send electricity yeah. and digital signals and stuff. Like, it's a good name. Uh, and it's also one of the rare things that Intel named well. You know, usually it's just not nonsense, random numbers. 10, 9, 5, 8, 7, 6, 4, 3, 2. Yeah, that, that's that is probably one of the processors, and if it isn't, it'll be on their next because you <laughs> you said it, it'll be on their next list for sure. Well, now you know, now you understand Thunderbolt three USB four Thunderbolt four. Why it's important to look at those little numbers inscribed on your motherboard to know if you're actually getting what you're supposed to to buy high quality cables out there, and you'll be ready when Thunderbolt four debuts with the Intel Tiger Lake know exactly what to buy and what to do so now we get to learn some more from wendy in the camera corner but first we've got a new sponsor michael that's right and the new sponsor for hardware addicts is bitwarden bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals teams businesses and organizations to store passwords and if you have never used a password manager before you are missing out on the, the most like convenient easy to use approach to dealing with passwords because I mean, I, I have to hand, I have hundreds of passwords because you have to have a password for every web. I mean, people might not do that, but you need to do that. You need to have a separate password for each individual website you go to because that's just best security practices. Because if one garbage website gets hacked and you have the same password everywhere else, then you might have this, another problem of that other website getting hacked automatically because people will just use whatever they pull from the database and you don't want to deal with that. You want to have a random password for every single website. And that's a lot to deal with. Like, how do you create those passwords? How do you store those passwords? Well, Bitwarden has the solution for you. So all you need to do is sign up for a free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. You get access to their random password generator. You get access to their the the password management. Of, like, they have the whole vault system. You get uh, You can even get the premium account, which gives you a one gigabyte file storage you get vault health reports, and you get not only this, but you get all kinds of extra features with YubiKey and SSH keys and all sorts of stuff. It's fantastic, and it's got it's. You can get this all for ten dollars per year. That's right, just ten dollars per year. Go to Bitwarden.com/dln and you can get started for free. But again, if you appreciate it as much as I do, you'd want to get it. You want to get that ten dollar account anyway. So Bitwarden.com/dln to get started on your Bitwarden password manager, which, by the way, I love Bitwarden. Not only is it because of a great, convenient piece of software, but the fact that it's open source, like we talked about earlier in the show, yeah. open source is a very important piece of this because you know you don't have to worry about whether you can trust this proprietary software or whatever because it's not proprietary. You can definitely trust it because you can check out the source. They even have third-party security auditing. In fact, they just announced another third-party security audit has been completed and you can check awesome. out the results from that. So you, if you wanted to find, to find the best possible password manager, you you don't have to look farther and you don't have to look anywhere else because you have Bitwarden and you just go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started with that free account. Again, 
bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring Hardware Addicts. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner. What is lens calibration? Well, this actually came up quite recently because I was having an issue with one of my favorite lenses. So sometimes, you know, just over the use of the lens, they are not focusing sharp where they're supposed to be. They don't always come from the manufacturer quite as sharp as they could be. You know, there's little variations in the manufacturing process. And typically, you can get a tool to help you with this. And they can be anywhere from $6.00. To about a hundred dollars, man. That is wow. That's a range. Six dollar one. Yeah, six dollars. Yeah, six dollars. Thanks. <laughs> and the thing is, for the most part, this really isn't that complicated of a job. So you're taking your lens and using settings inside your camera body to help you do this. And this tool is essentially a angled ruler. And this hmm. angled ruler is you're going to see. Focus on the center point. Zoom in on the picture and see, did it focus or did it not focus? Is it focusing too far behind where I want it to focus or too far ahead of where I want it to focus? And these upper ranged tools, the variation in the lines on them is a little bit better so that you can see more minutely where your focus is. But that really only works if you've got fine-tuning on the body of your camera and real fine-tuning on the lens of your camera. So for the most part, these lower-end ones will do a really good job in helping you figuring out, is my lens in focus? You can even make your own by using a line on a table and a couple rulers that you set on the line at the exact same mark. One of the hardest parts about doing it that way is once you start the process, you can't bump or move anything because then it's going to throw off. Is it in focus or not? Okay. So you just told us a way to do DIY and I'm mm-hmm. going to purchase one because that sounds too much. Well, let me ask this. <laughs> what does the, I, I don't understand if you, if you're taking this ruler and you're just moving the lens to see if it focuses or not, how's that fix anything? Well, it doesn't by itself. That's why you need to use the fine AF fine tune setting inside your camera body. And where it is in the menus of your camera really depends on not only the manufacturer of your camera, but the model at the time. I have to take so it that's out of one auto? of those things. No, <laughs> you do not have to take it out of autofocus, <laughs> but you do need to navigate the menus of your camera. Uh oh. Now that it's could be just, just too much. As scary. Just as complex. <laughs> <laughs> so this is one of those places where you're going to need to either look through all of the menus of your camera or break out your manual to find out where this AF or autofocus fine tune is. So then once you have your ruler, whether your DIY version or you purchase a tool to help you out, then you can adjust a positive or negative in this fine tune, take another picture and see, did it make it better? Did it make it worse? And you can get it to the point where when you hit that focus button, it focuses exactly where you want it to because there's nothing worse than taking a picture and realizing where you wanted the focus isn't there anymore. And it's not because you moved, it's because your equipment isn't working properly and this allows you to do it yourself 
get the nice sharp focus you want out of your lens and not have to take it anywhere and spend a bunch of money to have it worked on. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, I that's had an awesome no idea tip. this was a thing. Yeah, we are learning quite a few things related to lens that we didn't know you could even do. Especially, you know, we all want the hearts hearts lens. Can you can you calibrate a hearts filter lens? Is Good that question. possible? Good question. Mm, no. Oh man, now I'm disappointed in the but heart lens. Hearts will be out of focus. <laughs> <laughs> well, because the the hearts was not an actual lens. Remember, it was a filter for your lens. Oh, yeah, okay. come on, Michael. Well, I told you. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, of course you did. Of course you you listened. You listened yeah. better than I did, apparently. <laughs> but so if you fine tune focus your lens and then you put the heart filter on top of it, you can have whatever your main thing is and focus and all these pretty little hearts in the back. I'm gonna be so popular Perfect. on Instagram. That's right. Absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna Instagram. I'm gonna uh, TikTok as well. Just all day, every day, fine tuning. How's that any different than every other day? It, it, nothing <laughs> nothing changes nothing changes really to be fair it's all the same yeah but uh is the af fine tune is that a is that the same term for every camera as far as i know that seems to be the standard across all of the cameras i know for sure it is that way on the nikon and on canon but if okay. apple ever releases a phone or a camera it will be completely different no it'll oh, be it'll it be would. It'll still be AF fine tuner, just the A will stand for Apple. There you go. But I'm glad we found a we finally found a standard. That's nice. Finally, right. yes. Yeah, something that's the same across all again. That's amazing. <laughs> that's it. Our 15th episode of Hardware Addicts is a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all of the amazing content on Destination Linux Network. Head to destinationlinux.network. Do it. Do it now. Right now, we're sending Wendy after you to check out all the great <laughs> podcasts and YouTube partners available there. There's so much to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. And really, I'm not as mean as they need me out to be. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what she says. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next week for another fine-tuned Thunderbolt episode of Hardware Addicts.